on your feet. We're going to find somebody and tell them hello. This is amazing grace. This is 
done for me. Who brings our chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The King of glory, the King above our kings. Who rules the nations with truth and justice? Shines like the sun in all of its brilliance. The King of glory, the King above our kings. attention over here to the baptism. Well, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> there we are. Hey. It, is, it is great to be uh, back in the baptistry again this weekend, and uh, I'm, I'm very excited this morning as we baptize uh, another child from our children's ministry and two more of our students who made a decision to trust Christ with their lives. And one of the things I like to, to explain and, and, and make sure that everyone understands is that what happens here in just a few moments is not salvation. What it is is an outward expression of what God has already done in the hearts and lives of these young people. Um, and so we're very excited for that. And one of the reasons that we don't really hammer our kids on being baptized as soon as they get saved is we really want them to understand that, that salvation comes when they put their faith in Christ not when they get in the baptistry. And so this morning, I'm very excited. This is Sydney Collins. Say hey. 
Hey. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Sydney trusted Christ. When did you accept Christ as your Savior? Um, a long time ago when I was like six. Yeah. Near Christmas. Yeah, near Christmas. So it's been a long time. And, uh, but here's one of the things I can tell you about Sydney is, a, is I've had the privilege of watching her for several years now is, man, she just tries to walk with Jesus, and she is a super sweet young lady and really turning into a godly young woman. And it is my privilege this morning to be able to baptize her. You ready? All right. Sydney, it's because of your professional faith that I baptize you now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Yes, I am. I have had the privilege of watching Sweet Sydney uh, grow up, not just in the uh, children's ministry, but then when we both moved up together in uh, student ministry. And she has been, oh, she's in the butterflies class, beautiful butterflies class, and she definitely exemplifies uh, our passion for young girls who once were in this little cocoon, barely saying a word, and now this sweet little sister of ours is spreading her wings. And I am going to pray and ask that each of us here support her as she spreads her wings in Christ. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, what a sweet thing it is to watch as your children say, I do, to following you, their Lord and Savior. And Father, we trust and believe that Sydney has done just that, and now making a public profession of that is even sweeter. So now others know that she is a follower of Christ. And God, with that sometimes comes Satan's darts and arrows. And we just pray, Father, that you would put a hedge of protection around her, put people in her life that will build her up, encourage her, and help her in the times that will often get hard, and then celebrate with her uh, when times are great. And Father, we just know that this church is is that place, and the people here are just those people to do that. And I just pray that each one of us here uh, would rally around her, beside her, and lift her up. We thank you, God, for the privilege to be able to help disciple one of your sweet children. Father, it's in your precious name that we pray and give thanks, glory, and honor. Amen. Next, we have a couple of our young men. And uh, no, you guys are going down. Uh, this is Noah. I'm Jonathan. Uh, we talked to Noah about a month ago, and we're uh, just kind of talking to him about uh, accepting Jesus, and he goes, already did. So uh, we uh, met with Alicia and talked with him and said it was official, so here we are. So, Noah, have you accepted Jesus into your heart? Okay, I'm baptizing you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Frank Walker, uh, grandson, I'll try to get through this. <coughs> Dear Lord, just, just, just watch over Noah as he goes through life. <clears throat> I 
be with his parents, be with his grandparents, to show him the way. Amen. son Jackson and I'm so proud of him and what he's accepting today. Do you accept Jesus in your heart? Mm -hmm. Jackson, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Can you hear me? Uh, I'm also Jackson. I'm his granddad, and I am so proud of that kid. He is he is everything smart, just just great kid all around, and I am so happy for him this morning. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time that we come together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jackson and his commitment to serve you. Heavenly Father, we pray for Tony and Jackie that they may guide him in the way he needs to go. We thank you for carpenter away here in all that we do in your son's name. Amen. and fellowship and having a time in God's Word. If you'll look at your worship guys this morning, there's several things in there. Most of, most of it you can look through and you can read. A couple things I want to point out, though. Uh, Wednesday night will be an opportunity for uh, two trips that went on the Amazon uh, River this summer and in the fall. One was a ladies' trip. They're going to be here Wednesday night to share. We'd really like for you all to come out and listen to what we have to say about the trips and uh, maybe might uh, urge you to join one of those trips and go with us this next summer. Uh, the other thing that I want to talk about is, which is a kind of mission geared also, and by the way, if you ever want to look at what we support as far as missions, other than the International Mission Board, we support several other ministries. There's a table right outside that door, and you can look out there in the sheets, and you can uh, see what ministries we support. Okay, you saw the big stack of boxes out there. And, in the foyer, most of y'all are probably going to be aware of what that is, but I'm going to go through it and kind of explain it anyway. That's Operation Christmas Child, and that, that week this year, the National Collection Week, is going to run from November the 14th through the 21st. And just to give you a little bit of history about uh, Operation Christmas Child, it is a part of Samaritan's Purse. And since it was founded in 1993, and since 1993, they've, they've passed out more than 135 million shoeboxes to children around the world, to more than 150 countries and territories. 
Uh, so there's a huge amount of boxes that go out. And out of that group, almost 10% of, of, of those will receive Christ. And the 10, you'll see a, the discipling program out there on the table if you look at it. In 2015, uh, in the U.S., uh, there was 8.7 million boxes collected. Internationally, there was 11.2 million boxes collected. At Carpenter's Way, which we're the, we're the collection center for the area, there's seven relay centers that feed into Carpenter's Way from various places around the, around the area up to maybe 50 miles away. Uh, Carpenter's Way, we collected for Lufkin, 3,022 shoe boxes. With the total from all the relay centers, it was 10,148 shoe boxes, which was almost a 20% increase over um, 2014. So we're looking forward this year to a larger increase than that. I don't know if you've noticed it, but around Christmas time, or around Thanksgiving, you'll see two trailers out there. We filled up those two trailers, two 46-foot trailers last year, and I'm hoping that I have to call another trailer to come and, so that we can load boxes in it also. Now, how can you participate? There are several ways you can do it. You can participate online. You can go online. You can actually pack a shoebox online. You can pack the shoebox yourself. Uh, with your kids, you can have a time with family to do it. Uh, several people last year had packing parties up here. You can get together and pack shoe boxes. We'll have the regular shoe boxes out there that are, that are flat that you fold up, or you can get the plastic ones by going to Walmart, or I think Hobby Lobby's a big supporter of Operation Christmas Child, maybe Dollar General, some other places like that. I, I urge you to participate. If for those that have participated before with their kids, the kids really enjoy it and it's a great opportunity to do missions around the world. A lot of these kids, believe it or not, uh, have never received any kind of gift at all. And so it's a great opportunity to reach these kids around the world, which in turn reaches the parents. Samaritan's Purse, which is the, the, the overseer of, the, of, of Operation Christmas Child, can then reach out to these people around the world and share the gospel. It is a wonderful deal. I'm, I'm, from, I'm going to kind of step out on a limb here. But over the next few weeks, occasionally we'll show a little short video about Operation Christmas Child. And I urge you to go on the website, which is samaritanspurse.org forward slash OCC. It tells you how to pack a box, ideas, what you can put in it and what you can't put in it. It is a big deal around the world. So I, we, we'd love for y'all to participate. You can actually sign up. There's a sign-up sheet out there. We especially need all the guys to last the 21st. That's when we load all those boxes into the trailers. And it's, I don't know how many boxes we had out there last year, but we had, we had them lined up down the, down the parking lot last year loading boxes. So we need you to participate. It's a great opportunity for, for fellowship. Occasionally there's some snacks up here so you can have something to eat, whatever, but it's a great time of fellowship. Also, if you want to pray for the, thing, for the Operation Christmas Child, you can come up here during those hours and you can come in the worship center and you can pray for the boxes and for the kids that they're going to. And I think that's it. You guys that are going to take the offering, if they would come on up. Thank you all. Are these your notes here? <laughs>
Okay, let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for allowing us to be here this morning, uh, for participating in worshiping you, um, for having the opportunity to see the baptisms this morning and the testimony of the three kids that, that did that. Uh, Lord, we just thank you so much for them, and we just pray for them as, as we move forward that we would just uh, help them, encourage them, and raise them as our own. Lord, we are a family, and we thank you so much for that. And I pray that as we take this offering that it gives us that we would be touched in our hearts to give back what is really yours anyway, that we would uh, bless you, that we'd be able to take this offering this morning and use that for things that we do as a church, for our own family, and for those around the world. For these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy.
nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord.
going to dismiss the kids at this time for GPS, and I would encourage you to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I will meet you there in a few moments. Uh, Julie and I have uh, in the past told you of some friends who serve with New Tribes Mission in Papua New Guinea. Uh, they actually went into this tribe many years ago, uh, and this was a tribal group that had no written language. All they did was speak to each other. They had never recorded it. They had, uh, nobody had even translated it. And uh, they went in and spent their time getting to know the people of the tribe. And actually, the tribe taught them what words meant. They basically pointed at something and said the word. And, and they learned it until eventually they started translating pieces of the Bible. And now most of the Bible's translated. But they continue in this tribal group. Most of that tribe actually has accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior now, and some even go out to other tribal, unreached tribal groups now with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, the husband and wife team, the wife's name is Carolyn, um, and uh, she puts a blog together, and this past week wrote one that Julie brought to my attention, and it really fit perfect with what I believe the text today wants to share with you. So uh, let, me, let me read a section of this. Uh, Carolyn writes, the other day I was jogging on the airstrip and three little girls joined me. Um, the picture of those three girls is on the screen. As I was huffing and puffing to keep up, um, uh, forgive me, I'm going to kill their names, Adapo, far left, says, Koi, that's Moy language, doesn't have R's or I's, so my name sounds a bit different here. Um, Koi, do you realize that all three of us don't have mothers? Carolyn said, oh, you're right, I'm sorry. Uh, Mendai, the middle child, says, well, actually, uh, Pitinado's mom abandoned her, but our two mothers died. Carolyn said, oh, that's true. Hmm, do you girls have sad hearts because you don't have moms? All three responded with this. Why would we be sad? We have the creator God as our mom and our protector. Jesus is like our mom. All we can do is thank him and now our, offer our bodies and hearts to him. These three little children that are on the screen. When you grow up with this uh, in a church, in a culture, and a community that at least respects Christian things and kind of adopts it as part of the culture, uh, it is easy to forget how special what we have in Christ is. It's, it's just easy to forget it. It's easy to forget that we aren't just doing a religious thing, that this is really tr eternally transformative. It's hard for us to even fathom those three little girls saying, why would we be sad over not having a mom? We have God taking care of us like a mother. It's hard for us to put into our minds and our hearts because we just feel sad that they don't have moms, but these girls have joy because they have decided as an act of thanks they would offer their bodies and hearts to them. And it isn't just the children in the Moy tribe in New Guinea that feel this way. 
Um, the people of Thessalonica felt this. The, the people who get led to Christ on Paul's second missionary journey don't feel it's impersonal or religious. It's changed everything to the, for, for them, and, and it was so precious to them because it saved not just their eternal lives, but their lives as well, giving them a hope, and the world has stopped offering them hope. Boy, does that sound familiar. Uh, maybe this is happening to many of us now. You know, I, and, and, and I'm not, I don't want to say this in a, a uh, belligerent or, or down-looking way, but we live in a culture where Christianity has been easy for a long time, for our whole lives. It hasn't really cost us anything. I was reading an article this morning before I came in here that China has now, this last week, actually said that if a parent shares religion or Christianity with their child and that child gets saved, mom and dad are no longer allowed to buy insurance or be on the welfare system when they're older and that child cannot go to college. Just for leading your kid to Christ, just for having a religious conversation. And the article asked, the government asked the people to watch their neighbors. And if they are acting out this way, or even if their kids are secretly going to home churches, that they are to report those people and their life is over. You know, we, we just can't even fathom that. I mean, maybe we can start to. In, in case you're sleeping, there is a growing anti-evangelical or conservative Catholic movement in this country. And it is not just on the Democratic side, for those of you who think I'm making that political statement. We are a problem for anybody who wants to do it their own way. We have core values built upon the Scripture, built upon our salvation. And so it is easy for us when Christianity has been melded into the framework of the flag and of the country, when it's all been melded together, it's easy for us to get discouraged when the flag seems to be fraying and the country seems to be falling apart. We start asking ourselves, what's going on here? When in reality, we have been the parenthetical exception to the rule forever, and now we're just catching up. This is the way most Christians live. Their hope is firmly planted in God. And I think in some ways, it makes it difficult for us to think of this as nothing more than religion. This is so much bigger than religion. Last week, we began looking at the personal nature of our relationship with God. Um, and rather than uh, this being merely religious or corporate or cultural, we saw how personal it was in 1 Thessalonians 1.1 where we saw Paul writing to them. And he says, we are writing to the church, the ga those gathering in Thessalonica, those people who belong to God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Belong is such a personal word. And we spent all last week talking about why that was. Paul and Silas and Tim who wanted to begin this very personal letter by reminding them that this letter only applies to those who belong to God. And I just want to start by saying that as we get into this series, if you are not a child of God, we're going to get into Timothy. And some of you are going to be shocked to see that the position of elder in the church is supposed to be a male position. And the world will be offended. And my answer to you is it's none of your business. This is a body of Christ thing. And for those of you who don't think that, we'll go through Scripture and you can decide for yourself what it says. But the fact is, too often we try to apply the principles of Christianity, the life of the believer, to the world. No wonder they look at us and go, why are you trying to manhandle us? It's not their calling, it's ours. Ours is different. This is written to believers, not to the lost. And the culture and our, our desire to make people feel better, we've melded it into the culture. First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians are going to get into talking comforting believers who have lost family members. That comfort is not there for you if you don't know Jesus. 
And that's just a fact. It's not a mean fact. It's just a fact. And too often we've crossed those lines. The life of a believer is different. Not because we're religious. My goodness, religious doesn't, religion doesn't work. We're different because we've been adopted. And that's what we talked about last week. We belong to God. And why? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 tells us. Because you do not belong to yourself because God bought you with a high price. You know, when you came to Christ, you thought you were just getting out of hell. Nope, you were giving up your life. Well, somebody should have told me. I'm telling you now. You gave up your life. That, that thing we just did that Jeff just led us in, that isn't just a cool religious ceremony. It's saying I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price, and I want everybody in the world to know that I am here to live for God. That's why we do baptism. It's, it's not, it's not a, a, a Baptist thing. It's not an evangelical thing. It's not even a religious thing. It's a God thing. He told us to do that. He said, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. A baptism is part of the discipleship process where an individual says, I'm ready to stand up and say that my, my life belongs to God. It's personal. It's personal. And the Thessalonians... And uh, the Thessalonians, Thessalonians, that's wrong. The Thessalonians and the Moy kids that I, I showed you on the screen. And we, we belong to God. We're his property because he purchased us. And why did he do that? First, our Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. Again, we talked about this last week. I talk about it all the time. You were not saved to be kept out of hell. That's a byproduct of God's goodness. But it tells us that even before the world was made, God loved us and he chose us in Christ. What did he choose us to be? Holy and without fault in his eyes. Oh yeah, that's saved. Yeah, but that was, that was, the, that was the means by which his plan is accomplished. What is his plan? Verse 5. He decided in advance to, what's that word? Adopt us. It means the same thing as it does in this culture. You are the adopted child of God. He adopted us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. Please don't be religious in your thinking. Stop thinking like Christians. Think like people reading truth. He wants to bring us to himself. He wants to, as a father, he wants to grab you and pull you to his chest. And let me say that too often men, we kind of go, I can't relate to that. We need to relate to that. There's nobody needs a daddy more than a dad. And most of us have been disappointed in our dad, so we can't relate to that. But this dad is perfect. And he actually says, I want you to be close to my heart. I want to bring you to me. So he sent Jesus to pay the price of sin, which separates us from God, so he can bring us to himself and make us adoptable. And once adopted, he wants to grow this relationship with us. The scriptures are filled with stories of Jesus making meals or the Lord making meals for people to sit with them and fellowship with them. Uh, one example of, of mistaught, uh, mis. Uh, uh, what's the word? It's not just mistaught. It's misplaced uh, energy in our preaching is uh, Revelation uh, 3.21, I think, where the, I stand at the door and knock. Remember that? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I will come in. And, 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 it, and, and it's often taught like Laodicea was so screwed up and how dare they. And, and I'm telling you, God's waiting. And you have these pictures of no door handles and you've heard messages preached where God is knocking. And that's all true. But the next part tells us the attitude with which he's knocking. If anyone will open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal as friends. That's what the New Living Translation says. Share a meal as friends. God isn't mad at you. He's mad about you. He's begging. Get this. You don't have to beg him to have a relationship with you. He's begging you to have a relationship with him. And he's done everything in his power to do it except put a gun to your head. 
The gun was already to your head before he sent his son. It's called hell. But he didn't just send his son to keep you from going to hell. He wasn't pitying you. He wanted to adopt you. That was his unchanging plan. He likes you that much. For real, it's personal. So God wanted those motherless moy kids to be his kids. He wanted those Thessalonians and you and I to be his kids. It's personal. So he sent Jesus to pay the price for our adoption and that was to pay the price for our sin on our behalf. And no matter how religious or corporate or impersonal or common or cultural this feels, it has always been and will always be personal on God's side. He wanted you, so he sent Jesus to buy you. Please don't get tired of that. He sent Jesus to buy you, and the fact is, he paid the price. Enough blood was shed, according to John 3.16, for every man, woman, and child that ever lived. If you are here this morning and you have not accepted Jesus Christ, if you're on the internet, let me be clear. Just because you haven't accepted it doesn't mean he didn't pay for it. Just like something that, you know, something that's been paid for for you. <laughs> I'm really good at examples. Um, it's been paid for. It's there. It's sitting on the counter, and all you've got to do is sign the document. You have been adopted. The question is, will you agree to it? That's what accepting Jesus Christ is. And if you have never, ever accepted his offer to adopt you, I beg of you today, your, your sin has been paid for. Your sin's been paid for, and he's building a house, and he's putting a room in there with your name on it. All you got to do is say, I'm coming. That's it. Remember me when you get into your kingdom, the thief on the cross said. It's not as difficult as we make it. You are in trouble because of sin. Your sin has been paid for. All you have to do is say, I accept that Christmas gift. I accept that gift. And I beg of you, don't become Baptist. Don't become Catholic. Don't become Methodist. Become a child of God. We're not talking about joining Carpenter's Way. We're talking about joining the family of God. Well, how do I do that? Tell him you accept his gift of forgiveness from your sin and you will be saved. After that, this comes into play. Once saved, we get together and we learn about our daddy. Our daddy. I, I challenge you to change the way you pray. You hear me do it sometimes. Don't say, dear God. Say, daddy. Romans tells us that we can approach him as Abba, which means daddy. Approach him as daddy. It's become too cultural. It's become too norm. The, the, right now, it's interesting. The political class is trying to figure out how evangelicals are going to vote when we have on one side a lawbreaker and on another side an immoral man. You know what? We're, we're not a monolith of thought. We're the children of the king, adopted from different corners of the globe for the sake of the kingdom. And Jesus' exhortation for you right now is to be a good citizen, small c, but also to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This world is going to hell in a handbasket because it's being led by sinful folk. It's going to have to before it gets better. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Don't put it in Hillary Clinton. Don't put it in Donald Trump. Don't put it in them. They're going to mess up. Put it in God. He never messes up. Ever. Even when you're a child living in a Papua New Guinean tribal group and your mom's dead. That opens the door for you to be intimate with him and, and experience his parenting. I'm jealous of those girls in a way. It's not fun to have pain, but it is wonderful to be carried through the pain. It's personal. 
for those of us who have accepted God's offer to adopt us, I want to remind you of 1 John 3, 1. See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children, and that is what we are. How cool is that verse? It ain't corporate. It's not religious. It's real. See how very much the Father loves you. He calls you His children because that's what you are. I just want to take a moment. I want to, I want to thank God. Can we just take a moment and thank God for that? Let's just close our eyes and take a moment. And I, if you are God's kid this morning in this room on the internet, would you just take a second in your heart and just say, thank you for adopting me. Would you ask him to help you see the personal nature of this relationship? Ask him to peel off the layers of religiosity and culturalism and help you experience intimacy with Him. Oh, Father. Father, thank you, Daddy. Thank you. Thank you for adopting me. I didn't deserve it. I still rebel. And you knew I would, but you still look at me and you say, I love that kid. Love that kid. He's mine. And even the angels, Hebrews says, don't understand that. I thank you for your impossible to understand mercy and grace and love for Mark Wilkie. Father God, help me experience that love in ways that I can't even fathom now. I pray for this flock, for those that are watching, that as Paul prayed for the church of Philippi, as Paul prayed for the church of Ephesus, that we would begin to just comprehend in small levels how high and how wide and deep and how long the love of God is for us. In Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Before we move on into today's text, I, I, I just want us to take another moment. I want you to ponder this. Because the fact is, what I just taught, you have been taught your whole life. You've been singing it. And uh, you know one of the cool things? Uh, you know there's always the back row Baptist thing. One of the things you guys who sit in the back miss out is the singing. It's awesome up here. To listen to you sing rest this morning, you stunk on the rest of the songs, but that song you sang out. <laughs> but there's sometimes we sing these songs that we're so familiar with and we don't think about the words that we're singing. I want you to sing with me all four verses of an old hymn. When I survey the wondrous cross. Because that's what we're talking about. Taking time out to survey the cross. Will you do that with me? It'll be on the screen. Kip, will you put it up there? Let's sing this together. When I serve. If you don't sing loud, you're going to hear me. A wondrous cross. Think about what you're singing. On which the
Apologies to those who are on the internet because all you heard singing was me. <laughs> Turn it down and read the words. This is, this is from the Wesley brothers. These boys knew what it was like to live in the flesh and feed themselves and become wealthy on the slave trade. And these guys met Jesus. And they saw redemption. And they saw grace. And their response was, even if I owned everything, giving that to God as a present isn't enough. It's far too small. Love that is so amazing, so de divine. It demands my life. It demands my soul. It demands everything of me. And we have a hard time sometimes getting up to study the word or pray. It's inconvenient. The fact is, as much as we talk about freedom in Christ, and I preach it, and it's true, and you become a child of God because of his work, for most of us, we become like the pathetic Joseph of Arimathea. Sorry, I'm going to trash him. This is a guy who's a secret disciple of Christ because he doesn't want to be thrown out of the Jewish council. And the time he rises is after Jesus' death. I, I have no idea after maybe he became strong. But up to that point, he's like most of us, really weak. The time to stand up is all the time. It's time to stand. It's time to make decisions for the king. I, I am um, amazed at how often when God's things are not convenient, we do our own thing because it is convenient, or we like it. When God has given everything up for us, and in case you're not clear, Jesus wanted out at the last moment. Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, yours be done. 
God, I don't want sickness. But if this is how you glorify yourself, glorify yourself through me. Or, or even life. Being involved with your children as they're growing up. Discipling them. Reading the scripture with them. Being intimate with God yourself. Talking with him. Men, leading your family spiritually. It's not a chick thing here. It's a dude thing. It's our task. Oh, I'd rather fish. Yeah, he'd rather have lived, but he didn't. Put the fishing gear down and walk with Jesus. Uh, by the way, they're, they're not opposites, okay? You can fish for fish, and you can fish for men at the same time. But you know what I'm talking about. For the Moy children, their response to this, this cross, this adoption, is to say, all I can do is thank him and offer my body and hearts to him. For Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, he wrote this, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. A real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as far as righteousness goes, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage. And the, he, the Greek word for that is interesting. I can't say it on Sunday morning. It's dung, except not dung. It's the word that can't be said on TV. That's the word. I count it as crap times 10. It's nothing. It's waste. I know I'm getting close. Some of you are like, I've got kids in here. Don't worry. They've heard the word. So that I could gain Christ and become one. <laughs> it is funny. I get in trouble for the funniest things, and I'm like, do your kids go to public school or watch TV or breathe? Okay. Everything else is worthless. I've discarded it. I've got to find myself here. Okay, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and listen to how much he wants to know him. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him. What are you, nuts? I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Talk about the power of the resurrection. I want to see God working in and around me in impossible circumstances. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. In other words, Paul, like nobody else, taught salvation through faith in Christ alone. But here he's saying, I am running for this prize. I'm going to do stuff. I'm going to surrender even if it puts me in difficult circumstance. It was also the experience and desire of the Thessalonians who were owned by God to actually live out that ownership. Verses 2 and 3 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. Here's why Paul, Silas, and Timothy thank God for them. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 12, 1, Paul said, and so, dear brothers, because you're saved, because of what we talked about in the first 11 chapters, because salvation is an act of faith, because of that, I now plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Give your bodies to God. Because of all he has done for you, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind you will find acceptable. This is the, truly the way we worship him. 
It's personal. From God to you, and from you to God. And next, in coming weeks, you're going to see it's personal from us to each other. And Satan wants to take these truths and make them a religious truth. Impersonal, corporate, doctrinal boxes that keep us from intimately walking with God. Doctrine has value. I love doctrine. As long as it reveals who God is, not controls my relationship with Him. Doctrine has value in keeping us from getting whacked out. But if it is the thing that we live for, then we have become the Jews who live for the law and not for the God of the law. It is a dangerous thing to be an evangelical Christian in the United States of America. It is a dangerous thing to be an evangelical Christian and a Baptist specifically in Texas. It is dangerous because we wrap ourselves in a flag and a culture and historical truth that aren't always true and we carry them all together when in fact at times they conflict. Forcing us to make a decision, which one will we honor the most? Who will I die for? My country, my family, my church, or my God? Because truth divides. It costs. You've got to know him. You've got to know him not just as a pastor or as an elder or as a Sunday school teacher. You've got to know him personally. Like waking up with him and going to sleep with him and walking with him and talking with him fellowshipping with him in the word not in the word under a big you know beth moore study but personally knowing god through his word through prayer and through time just walking with him there's no replacement my friends for intimacy but we've tried to replace intimacy with god with pastoral uh, gift sets and worship that moves us we've tried to replace me and God walking together through life. Me and God parenting. Me and God voting. Me and God doing all these things with, with people telling us how to do it or reading books on what the Bible says instead of talking to God. The church today, I, I haven't used this illustration in a while, but it's a little bit like getting married. I, when, when Julie and I got married, her mother is a hero, and, and I promise sometime I'll have her tell her story, but, but her mom is a hero. But the day we got married... It was, a, it was a Saturday evening, uh, a Friday evening. Like I said, it was a very meaningful night. I remember the day of the week. And we got married in the evening. But you know what? That night, we did not move in with her mother as much as I like her mother. You know why? I wanted to get to know Julie. I didn't, I didn't really care at that point what her mom had to say about Julie. During our engagement, we talked a lot about Julie. But after marriage, now it's my opportunity to get to know her myself. So I need to spend time with her. And too often, we spend time with other people who've spent time with God. We've replaced personally, intimately walking with Him, with letting other people who have tell us. And you know what? They're wrong about a lot of stuff. I told you when I came to Carpenter's Way that my goal was to be 70% right. I hope I'm like 99. But my goal is to be 70% right. And you better know God enough to know where I'm wrong. You can but it's going to take work. It's going to take decision-making. You're, you're going to have to decide against some things to know God. You're going to be in His Word. You're going to have to talk to Him. And weird of all, you're going to have to drive down the road talking to Him in the seat next to you. My goodness, this culture is full of crazy people. Just join them. Talk to Him. And then shut up long enough to hear Him. He talks. He directs. He guides. He leads. He reveals stuff. This message, um, I, I, I uh, you know, I, I read a text for 30 days before, and then about a week out, I kind of outline it, and then uh, the week of a message, I outline the text for the week, and and sometimes. Um, 
I, I send a note to all the Bible study leaders where we're going to be and the big idea. And sometimes like this week, God actually says, that's, that's not what I'm saying in that text. And this week he took me a different direction. And you'll know more about that next week. But, but this, this verse, these two verses, verses 2 and 3, Paul is saying, we thank God for you because you continually, regularly, all the time, keep deciding to do what God asks you to do. And the three things he mentions, the first thing he mentions is their faithful work. There's not much explaining that needs to be done here. These folks were doing kingdom work in response to being owned by him. They were so overwhelmed and so in love with what he had done for them. Doing kingdom work was second nature. We're going to tell people, and you'll find out more of that as we go through Thessalonians. But, but they couldn't help themselves. Now, now I want to be clear. This wasn't an organic thing that just happened. They decided this. You're going to get into next week. In next week's text, Paul is actually going to say, hey, we are, bl- we are blown away by you and others are because we see God's fruit in your life. When the gospel came to you, you didn't just re- respond cerebrally. It came with power. And he talks about the fruit of the Spirit in their life, but that's not what he's talking about here. This is not the fruit of the Spirit. This is the fruit of people who realize they're owned by God, are blown away by it, and like those Moy kids go, I'm not sad that I don't have a mom. I have a better dad. I have a better mom. I have a God who treats me like a child. They were blown away. And in terms of that, I am going to walk with him. There's a famous story about Abraham Lincoln, and I've told it before. I don't know if it's true, but boy, it teaches well. And the story is that, he, he, the story is that before the Emancipation Proclamation, he was in the South. And he was, in a, uh, he was standing where slaves were being traded, and there was a young lady that was being sold on the slave market, and he buys her. After the purchase is done, he gets the document that's her freedom. And she comes down off the stage. They bring her to him. And he looks at her and he hands her the paper and he says, sweetheart, you're free. And this little black child who had never been free before looks at him and says, what does that word mean? And he says, sweetie, it means you can go wherever you want to go. It means you can do whatever you want to do. And she looks at him and says, I don't understand. You can go wherever you want to go. You take these papers with you and nobody owns you. You can do now whatever you want to do. And she looks at him, and history says it with a tear in her eye. She looked back at Abraham and Lincoln and said, I just want to go with you. That's what happens when you realize you've been purchased and set free. Are you free? Absolutely. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit has come into you, you are truly a child of God. Ephesians 1 says he is guaranteed to, to give you everything he promised. It's guaranteed. It is a promise. And you can't out that grace because he's forgiven you all of your sin. Having said that, if you really come to terms with this not being a religious move, not just being a move about hell, you can't help but say, I can do whatever I want. Yes, Mark, you can do whatever you want. I can go wherever I want to go. Yes, Mark, you can. I just want to go with you. I want to get to know you. When somebody is so good to you that it blows your mind, you want to be with them. It's personal. It's personal. The decisions we make day in and day out are personal. What you wear speaks of what you speak about the God who made your body. How you treat people speaks to how you believe the creator of the universe values them. Pro-life isn't just for infants in the womb. It's for homeless people on the street. It's for homosexuals dying of AIDS. It's for transgender folks who need help. Jesus valued these people, and he died for them. And the truth is, 
except for the damage it does to your flesh, our sin is no more grievous to God than the sin of the guy shooting up with heroin every day or the guy actually hurting his child. You see, in the end, this isn't about 90 years. It's about 9 billion years. And God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. Nobody. That's why he died for everybody. Even more than that, he wanted to adopt Adolf Hitler. Please answer the phone. He wanted to, uh, he wanted to adopt that guy. That crazy old long-haired, goofy-looking mustache dude. Jesus died for him. I just can't accept that. Then walk away. Because his grace is sufficient even for that wicked man. Even for him. You think these candidates are crazy? Nebuchadnezzar was God's choice for Babylon to overcome Israel. Read, read uh, Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It actually says God raised him up for this purpose. Well, that doesn't make sense only because you're living for yourself. Not for him. I'm with you, by the way. It's crazy. I've turned off the news, except when I sneak and watch. But I got news for you. When I turn it off and turn it on three days later, they're still doing the same stupid stuff. What's happened is I had a good three days. I know who I'm going to vote for. I'm going to plug my nose. I'm going to vote, and I'm going to pray that they actually keep their word. In the meantime, I know I've read the end of the story. I know it gets ugly, and then it gets good. So we're going to be faithful. That hymn we just sang, what a great hymn to sing as they're killing us. It demands my life, my soul, my all. And the people of Thessalonica, they were faithful in their work. And Paul says, we look at you. We just thank God for you. As opposed to the Galatians where Paul says, what is wrong with you? Or Corinthians, he goes, how can you be tolerating sin in your flock? What are you doing? This group of people, he says, we are so proud of you, your faithful work. He goes on, secondly, he praises them for their loving deeds. You see, loving deeds grow out of a God who's loved you. 1 Corinthians 5, 11 through 14 tells why Paul believes this. Verse 11, because we understand our fearful responsibility. That's a task. Because we understand our fearful responsibility, Lord, we work hard to persuade others. I thought he was free not to work. When it comes to salvation, but when you understand what's been purchased, whose you are, how can you help yourself? I want to go wherever you go. I want to be with you. We work hard to sway, persuade others. God knows we're sincere, and I hope you know this as well. Are we commending ourselves to you again? In other words, are we bragging? No, we're giving you reasons to be proud of us so that you can answer those who brag about having spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. Wow, it's the same then as it is today. Just because somebody has a spectacular ministry doesn't mean they have a sincere heart, apparently. And Paul was feeling the heat of that. Paul's feeling the heat because people are going, well, you know, uh, Frank over there, has this really cool thing, Paul. He's doing twice the miracles of you, and they have a great crowd, and they feed everybody. And he goes, you know what? I'm just doing it from a sincere heart. They may have spectacular stuff going on. I'm simply telling you that I'm sincere. Verse 13, if it seems we're crazy, you know why he wrote that? Because people are saying that Paul guy's crazy. Everybody's somebody's fool. Whose fool are you? Somebody out there thinks you're an idiot. Just make sure they're the right people. If people, if it seems we're crazy, it's to bring glory to God. And if we're in our right minds, it's for your benefit. Either way, crazy or not, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have died to our old life. That's it. It's real clear. 
How can you be overwhelmed by this? How can you survey the wonderful, wondrous cross and not end the song with love so amazing, so divine? It demands my life. It demands my life. How can I not? How is it that you can be so faithful to God? How is it you can't be faithful to God? Well, I can answer it because it's become religious. It's, it's become that church covenant that we have on a wall or in the front of our Bible that we stand and we quote, when I leave this church at the annual business meeting, I promise to gather with another group of believers and we will never drink. Remember that? No? You guys don't remember that? I remember it. I remember we'd say at annual business meeting every year and it was a quote, the standards for the church for us were higher than God's standards for us. But we all said it as if we do it. Half the church was drinking anyway. It's crazy. As long as the pastor doesn't know and other Christians. You know what you call two Baptists in a bar? Huh? Strangers, that's exactly right, even if they worship together. I didn't go to movies when I was a kid or wasn't allowed unless it was a drive-in and a Disney movie that had no witches. However, if you go 45 minutes out of town, you can go to a movie. What? You can't play with cards unless they're Uno cards because face cards make, make fun of the Trinity. Are you kidding me? Don't hold a girl's hands because it could lead to dancing. Okay, and dancing leads to hugging, and hugging leads to petting, and then you have capital P and small p, and before you know it, you're having sex. What are we doing? Walk with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. I don't know about all that, Pastor. I just want to walk with God. Well, aren't you afraid you're going to end up having sex outside of marriage? Not if I walk with Jesus. You don't have to have the rules. You don't have to have all that if you walk with Jesus. If, if you if you think about his love, the love amazing, so divine that it demands your life, you don't have to worry about rules. But we forget that. We just want to do enough so that we're faithful or considered faithful without really completely selling out. I'm with you. I'm, I'm not, all right, Mark's not using, thank you for visiting Carpenter's Way. He's usually much nicer than this. Hey, do you know how I know this stuff? Because Julie does it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've, I've, I need to apologize. It's not true. She's perfect. But I, I'm like that. I'm like that. I'm that guy going, I don't know if I really want to do that. We got new neighbors this last year, and they are crazy. <laughs> Those people laughing know who they are. <laughs> we, we, and Julie, yesterday, she says, uh, you know, this Christmas, because we have quite a few new neighbors, let's have a Christmas party so they can all get to know each other. And my first response is, isn't there TV on that night? <laughs> what, these people are crazy. They're going to bring their crazy kids, all of them. <laughs> I don't even know where, where um, <laughs> they're probably at soccer right now, but uh, the stringers live next door. <laughs> it's awesome, by the way, but you know what I'm talking about. Let me check my schedule first and make sure that I'm not doing anything else that I want to do first. It demands my life, my soul, my all. Dear God, thank you for the church of Thessalonians, Paul prays. Thank you that, that they're working hard because of the faith they have in you. And thank you, God, that they love people because you love them so much. And then the third thing that Paul says he thanks God's fo God for is their enduring hope. This will become meaning, more meaningful as we get through the letter because you're going to realize they're facing persecution. The culture has turned against them. The culture doesn't like them, much like here. 
and they're feeling difficult, but they endure, their hope is enduring in God because they've placed their faith in him. It just endures. Um, they choose to trust God. When we were at the Billy Graham uh, library a couple years ago, I know I told you, I, Julie wanted to go. So we were in North Carolina last summer. Was it two summers ago? Two summers ago. It was awesome. I wasn't a big fan. I, I, we walked in and, and Zach and I were blown away. You need to go if you get a chance. And as you walk through, the first thing you have is a speaking cow. Hard to explain. You need to see it. But in this cow, it talked about his upbringing as a little boy. And after he gave his life to Christ, he talked about what he called preaching to trees and cows. And at that point, Zach was going to go to Moody and he was studying. And, you know, the attitude is, I just want to walk with God and he'll use me any way he wants. And that's true. But to walk through and hear that he put a lot of effort into studying was very significant in Zach's life. And you know what? It was really good for me too. It's easy to get lazy. Oh, God will do what he wants. Yeah, I'm a sovereignty of God guy. But he asked me to put, put my whole heart, life, and soul into it. Whether he uses it or not. Fact is, God isn't asking you to count heads. He's asking you to be faithful and respond to his love for you by responding lovingly to him. Faithfully. And when it seems like everything's on fire, trust him. You know, this is... Uh, Maybe the most terrible, it, it may be one of, I don't want to say the, one of the worst because of slavery. This may be one of the darkest times in our country's history. Having said that, it may be one of the most wonderful times in the church's history. Because I have a feeling we're going to wake up. Now, I'm not going to look forward to leading you through it. I'm just glad that they start by martyring associate pastors. That's how the rules go. And then elders, and then deacons, and it comes back to the senior pastor. By then you've run. <laughs> The, the fact is, I have no idea what's happening. It may be the same as it is right now for the next hundred years. But I do know who's on the throne now and will be then. And he's asking me to trust him. Even if it hurts my skin. He's asking me to trust him. And that's a decision you make. But I don't feel strong. It was never about feeling strong. That's why he said have courage. It's about knowing. Putting your eye on Jesus and not looking away. It's a choice. It was interesting as I, as I looked at these three, and, and I'm about done because I know Bible study leaders want to get to their classes, but these three things, uh, the work that grew out of, uh, of faithfulness and their faith in the Lord, their love, the loving deeds that grow out of their relationship with Him and, and their intimacy with Him, and then their hope. You know, those are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Three things last forever, faith, hope, and love. Three things. The greatest of these is love. It struck me that there's a lot of us, churches, and a lot of times where we do loving acts. There's a lot of times that we do good works. So does the Red Cross, though. And then there's those who actually spend their life in little rooms studying theology, trying to find hope. They're called monks. Together, faith, hope, and love work. But individually, you're a cultist. Some of us want to sit around and debate theology without doing anything for the kingdom. Some of us want to throw theology to the side and just love on people. You know, the fact is that you may love people, but if you don't tell them of their crisis of eternity without being adopted, you're not really loving them. 
And it's really, really easy to put up a program and do good works together. We can volunteer in lots of organizations, but without the other two, it doesn't really eternally change anything. But together, they're the trifecta of faithfulness. Together they work because they are all centered not on people you serve, but on Jesus Christ who served you. Together, they grow out of what God has done. Individually, they grow out of promotion of our church. We're going to give you a $50 gas coupon and remind you to visit us at 9.30 on Sunday mornings at Carpenter's Way Baptist Church. Well, we bring whatever. We do this. Come on. (laughs) I'm telling you something. You can have the best promotional program and the best programming, but without love, 1 Corinthians 13 says you are just noisy. And my fear is the church is just flipping noisy right now. You don't have to change this world starting in Washington, D.C. Change it over the back fence or in downtown Lufkin or at Applebee's or Chili's or wherever you go. When you buy something at Best Buy, ask the guy who's serving you or the girl, how's she doing? I'm fine, fine. Really? Ask him. How can I pray for you? They'll think I'm a freak. They thought Paul was a freak. Welcome to the family. Pray for people. Care about them. Because God cared for you. This is real. This is real. And and to many of us who grew up in all of this noise, it's become kind of a religious, corporate, cultural thing. But I assure you that it's real beyond that. Do you remember when you met Christ? Do you remember when you saw Him at work in your world and and you got a fire in your heart. Don't let it die. Don't let it die. Ask Him to rekindle it. 1 John 4. Do this. Why should I love my ex? He committed adultery. He broke our vows. Why should I pray for Hillary Clinton? She's a crook and she's getting away with it. So are you. Thank God we're getting away with it. How dare he run for president when he's such a misogynist? Which I had to look up, by the way. Not that smart. We do that. That's why. That's why. That's why the dude with his pants around his ankles. The guy whose music's too loud and his car is jumping. Now the really hard one. That old person who drives too slow. (laughs) I just just heard somebody say, I think he's talking about you. (laughs) To that I say, bless your heart. (laughs) Love so amazing. So divine, says Charles Wesley. It demands my life, my soul. It demands everything of me. God, forgive us for holding on to this life too tight. Change the way we think from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Sunday school will start in 10 minutes. Bible study will start in 10 minutes.